Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Now, on, an, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Rebecca, um, you can keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 17. And I forgot to say, I'm sorry, this is um, really, announcements and things really not my forte here. I forgot to say, youth group um, is having their social this uh, Saturday, and so um, they won't be meeting in the net regular place, but they'll be going um, jumping uh, trampoline thing. Um, so if you're a parent, please make sure that they get there and sign the waiver form for it. But let's pray that as we come to this text, that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you that um, it's not my words that shape our lives, but it is your word that has power to speak to us and form us into people who bear your image and who can be salt and light in this world. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to you, that you will speak to us, that through, through this familiar passage, that you will um, shine um, in, in us this unchanging truth um, that, will, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that, we, it, that will be planted in our hearts and, and that can bear fruit. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, to catch uh, disease, that... Uh, was thought to be incurable, must have been a terrifying thing. But to catch the disease that is incurable and makes you look grotesque and was thought to be easily contagious must have been devastating. And leprosy was like that. This disease, according to a Bible dictionary, says begins with the speck on the eyelids and on the palms, gradually spreading over the body, bleaching the hair white wherever they appear, crusting the affected parts with scales, and causing terrible sores and swellings. From the skin, to uh, the, the disease eats inward to the bones, rotting the whole body piecemeal. It was kind of a disease that was so bad that people thought that if you caught it, you, were, you must have been cursed by God, that you must have done something really bad, that there was a sin that was in you, that was affecting you, that it was coming out outwardly. So in Jesus' days, lepers, lepers were asked to lament to grieve, and though as a sign of that, they were uh, meant to uh, uh, tear their clothes as a sign of grief. And when people came nearby, they were required to shout out, unclean, unclean, to, as to warn them so that people couldn't come to them so that they might not be, they might not, uh, be affected. They were removed from their family, from their friends. They were not allowed to worship in the temple. They couldn't speak to anyone or greet anyone because to greet in that culture required physical contact. 
It was a terrible disease. So imagine the hope that these 10 people must have had when they heard that Jesus was in town, when they, when they saw Jesus from afar. They must have been filled with this hope. And as was required, they stood at a distance, as we're told in verse 14 and verse 12. And they cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They cry out for compassion because they thought maybe Jesus could do something about this terrible disease. And Jesus is moved by compassion, as he often is in the Gospels. He does engage with them, and he now commands them, in verse 14, to go and show themselves to the priests. And as they went, as they obeyed and went, this miracle happens. They were cleansed. It's a short way of saying, but imagine what actually happened, what that was like as the scales fell and the puffed up skin becomes smooth again. When the deformed fingers grow back and the the toes grow back, the nails grow back, when the pus that covered their bodies become cleansed, it dry away. The healing must have been visible. They must have cried out in great praise as these things were happening. Their lives were now instantly changed before their very eyes. And one of them, the Samaritan, came back. We're told in verse 15 that he praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanks him. He's healed. But think about the healing. It's not just the physical healing that he received, right? Because there are many more kinds of healing that this physical healing entails. He can now go back to his family and friends. He can see his children again. He can be with his wife again, his parents again. He is saved from the stigmatization as being an outcast for the rest of his life. Think about the psychological effects that that was having in his life. But then... There seems to be even more in this healing. There seems to be a greater salvation that is happening because look at the last thing that Jesus says to this leper, to the healed leper, verse 19. Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Well, what does that mean? I thought he was healed already. Wasn't he healed from the sickness? Wasn't that why the leper was praising God in a loud voice? Jesus, of course, here in verse 19, means something deeper, a greater kind of salvation, because literally what it says is, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. And remember, leprosy was considered an outward sign of inward sinfulness. He was cleansed outwardly, but he still needed to be cleansed inwardly. His sin that took over, that takes over everybody's life, sin that takes over everybody's life, that needs to be healed. That needed to be cleansed still. And think about why Jesus asked uh, the lepers to go and see priests. The the priests in, in Jerusalem, in the Old Testament, the priest functioned a little bit like a doctor. Uh, he wanted to make sure that, it, that uh, you're, when you were cleansed uh, from disease, they had to come and see the priest so that the priest could verify it 
And so that he could say, you can come now back into the worshiping community. That you can come back into worshiping God. So that must have been the reason why God, why Jesus sent the lepers to the priests. But of course, that was one of the many reasons why they went to see the priest. Priests in Jerusalem. Remember, these lepers were also not able to worship God because of the leprosy. They were excluded from fellowship with God. And going to see the priest probably meant an opportunity to offer their guilt offerings, fellowship offerings, thank offerings, to receive forgiveness from God and to be restored as part of a worshiping community. Go and show yourself to the priests. But the thing is, a Samaritan, the Samaritan never went to go see the priest. As he was on his way, he was healed. And when he was healed, he turned right back. But he's not rebuked by Jesus. He's not rebuked for disobeying Jesus here. I think it's because it's, he's not rebuked because he, is, he has come to see the priest, the high priest, who is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Jesus is the perfect, he offers a perfect sacrifice through whom one is forgiven, is reconciled back to God. And so when Samaritan comes back to see Jesus, he receives a deeper salvation. Your faith has saved you. Not only was he healed, not only was he reconciled to the worshiping community, because he was also a Samaritan. He was an outsider. He was reconciled back into the worshiping community, but he, most importantly, he was reconciled back with God, in fellowship with God himself. He turned to Christ, and he was forgiven. And that is the nature of true and deeper salvation that he received. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. In Korea, there is this catchphrase, well-being, well-being. Everyone was into well-being. Um, in Korean, it would be well-being. <laughs> but anyway, that was how, uh, that, what that actually means is uh, eating well, exercising well, so that you live a, a life that is well. And we, when we think of wellness, we think of health. We think of things like this. But what about our spiritual health? What about our sins? What about our spiritual sickness? Not just the leprosy that affects outside, but inward sickness, inward leprosy. Once again, I think we live, as we live our lives, we're keenly aware of our, our bodies, our th- things that go wrong in our bodies. I'm ashamed to say, but I did something like my first push-ups in half a year, two days ago, and it still hurts. Thank you, thank you. Um, it still hurts. And my knee um, that I hurt about seven years ago, it still hurts. I'm keenly aware of the fact that there's something wrong with my body. But we don't think much about our spiritual sickness, do we? We don't think, attend to how, our, how we are doing spiritual, how, how our relationship with God is every day. So as we come... Are we thinking, thinking about, are we seeking just to be well? Are we seeking just to be well, or are we seeking spiritual salvation? And if we're a Christian, 
are we seeking, um, uh, are we seeking just the material things and the physical wellness, or are we seeking spiritual wellness? What is most important in our life? What are the things that are important to us as we live our lives? Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. But now let's just think about um, how the Samaritan received this salvation. What made him turn around and come back to Jesus when the other nine kept going? It's not as if the others didn't have any faith. In fact, I think all ten had some degree of faith because all ten were commanded to go to the priest. And going required, to, required some faith because they were asked to go before they were healed. But all ten went. Now the question is, what made the one turn around? And we're told that as he came back, he praised God in a loud voice in verse 15. He sees Jesus and he throws himself on the, uh, at his feet and he thanks him. And I think that's really telling. How would you react uh, Brian back here, I, I don't know why I'm picking on him today, but Brian back here is a doctor. And say that Brian did something for you, he cured this incurable sickness. Well, what would you do for Brian? I think I would be effusive in my thanks. I mean, I would say things to thank him. I, I, I might even cry. I might even give him a hug. And the next day, I might come with a gift or something just to make sure that I know that he's thanked. But I don't think I would throw myself at, the fe- at his feet. If you did that to me, I would hesitate for a while. I wouldn't know what to do. I would probably throw myself on the ground with you just to make sure that I'm not, uh, to, to let you know that I'm not a person that should be worshipped like that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus accepts the man's praise. He asked the Samaritan, where are the other nine? Has no, one returned, uh, has no one returned to give praise uh, to God except this foreigner? Jesus seems to imply that he is God, that he is worthy of that sort of worship and praise because he's God. And the difference between nine and the one is that the one saw something in the miracle. Once again, John, Gospel of John calls miracles signs, right? Because miracles are supposed to point to, to something, and the Samaritan saw something in this miracle. As his fingers grew back and his skins smoothed out, he understood that this sort of thing can only happen with the power of God. Only God can do this. That All that he had heard about Jesus before, all these rumors about him being God was true. He recognized Jesus as God. So he came back and fell at his feet and started to praise him and thank him. In short, he started to worship him. That's the difference between his faith and the others. All listened to Jesus, but only one recognized Jesus. And not only did he recognize Jesus, recognizing his authority, he fell at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. And that's the nature of genuine faith. It listens to Jesus, it comes and recognizes Jesus' authority, and then it starts worshiping Jesus. But maybe you think, well, this guy had something extraordinary happen to him. And if we experience a miracle like this, then we too would turn to Christ. The whole world would turn to Christ. 
But remember Jesus' question. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? They all experienced this miracle, but only one recognized Jesus. They all experienced, saw, they all saw, uh, they were all healed, but only one recognized Christ. And last week I sat in uh, Link's group um, when a person told uh, the group this story. It was about uh, when he was leading an alpha group. And one participant um, in that day, uh, uh, the, the week before, had broken his collarbone. And apparently that day, the talk, the topic of the talk was, does God heal today? To which the answer, of course, is yes, God heals today. And well, at the end of the talk, this person sort of half-challenged the group. And so the group then laid hands on him and he started to pray. And after the prayer, the leader asked him, well, how, did, how, 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 how do you feel? He sort of moved around and he thought, oh, I feel better. He was puzzled. And the leader then asked him to go and maybe pick up that chair, see, see if he can do that. And so he picked up the chair with one hand and then dropped it. And apparently he knew something happened and he said something like, shoot. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because apparently that person didn't come to Christ that week. He didn't come to Christ at the end of that course. Clearly, God had performed a miracle, but he needed something else. The evidence was right in front of him, but that, he didn't turn to Christ. Maybe he thought maybe Jesus was one of many gods. Maybe he thought that there's some power to prayer, generic power to prayer. Maybe he just thought that I need more evidence than this. The point is, the miracle wasn't enough. He missed the point of the miracle. He missed the miracle as a sign that pointed to something. And remember last week when we talked about the rich man and Lazarus? What Jesus says, uh, Jesus says the Bible should be enough. If you have Moses and the prophets, that should be enough. That records the warnings and the teachings, the record of all the miracles and God's great acts in history. It's recorded there. Jesus hints there that somebody will die and rise again. And we saw that happening with Jesus. The whole creation sings God's praise. The heavens and earth declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim uh, the works of his hands. The creation sings God's praise. And if we really look around, the the world is filled with things that are miraculous. I mean, just think about an egg and how an egg turns into a chicken. If you saw an egg, you would never put the two and two together. Think about a seed. becomes a mighty oak. Think, think about a baby, how the babies are con- conceived and how they grow up to be a human, uh, well, they are human beings. They're grown adult, that these cells become human beings. They declare God's glory. The signs are all around us. And the question is, do we throw ourselves at Jesus' feet when we recognize these signs and worship him, or do we ignore the wondrous things that are around us? when we stare at the ocean and we see a baby and the sense of awe comes and overtakes us, do we turn to Christ and praise him or do we miss the point? We are supposed to see these signs. We're supposed to turn to Jesus and to worship him. That's the nature of true faith. And if you understand your salvation... And if you understand the nature of faith, 
if they recognize Jesus as the Son of God, then we're moved to praise. We're moved to live our lives in praise and thanksgiving. And that's what the Samaritan does, doesn't he? He comes back to praise God in a loud voice. His praise is just as loud as his plea for mercy. He asked loud in, in a, loud, a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy. But he also turns around and praises God in a loud voice. We tend to be loud and desperate when we need something from God, but we do not praise God that way, do we? We don't even think much more if, when God answers our prayers, not with a loud voice in any way. But if we truly understood our salvation, if we truly understand the, the salvation that we've received and who Jesus is, then we can't help but be thankful and praise God this way. In fact, I think this is something that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. Because Christianity says life is not something about what you have to do. Christianity says our life is a response. It's a celebration to what God has done for us. And so there is that joy, there is that praise, and there is that thankfulness that flow out of us. One writer puts it this way. There's no forgiveness in this world or in that which is to come except through the cross of Christ. Through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. The religions of paganism scarcely knew the word forgiveness. The great faiths of Buddhists and the Mohammedans give no place either to the need or the grace of reconciliation. The clearest proof of this is the simplest. It lies in the hymns of Christian worship. The Buddhist temple never resounds with the cry of praise. Mohammedans' worshippers never sing. Their prayers are at the highest prayers of submission and of request. They seldom reach the gladder note of thanksgiving. They are never jubilant with the songs of the forgiven. We sing here, don't we? Every week we come to praise and give thanks to God for the things that he has done for us. And our songs are not just of exhortation. Let's do something better. Good Christian hymns are not really even about us. It's about what God has done for us. It's about the greatness of God, the grace that he has shown for us. It's, they're songs of celebration. They're songs of praise and thanksgiving. They're filled with joy. And how could they, they not be? When the gospel is the greatest news that we've ever heard. But as we end, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. This doesn't mean that we're bubbly happy all the time. This doesn't mean that we're never sad. But I think it does mean this, that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We offer ourselves as, uh, to, to live our lives in praise and thanksgiving of what Christ has done for us. This past week, I met up with a friend uh, who's a missionary in Japan. I know him to be a hardworking and a brilliant man. He could really have done anything, but he chose to be a missionary in Japan. He told me about his uh, work in Japan, uh, how, how difficult it was, how difficult it is to plant the church, how difficult it is to spend all that much time to, uh, to preach in Japanese, and how difficult it is to look around each Sunday, and actually see only a handful of people gathered there. How discouraging it is. 
he talked a little bit even about his depression that he suffered last year. And there was at a point where I thought maybe um, my friend was about to quit and go home. But then, as we talked about what his plans are for the future, and he talked about continuing with this church plant. And he talked about his dreams of starting um, a, a ministry amongst the students, starting something that unites the Japanese church to give them, to equip them, um, so they could reach others in Japan. In short, he talked about how he was going to keep going. He wasn't planning to give up because the thing that he wants the Japanese people to know is the thing that he received, salvation in Christ Jesus. He received his salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the guarantee of the kingdom to come and his part in it by through grace alone, through what Christ has done for him. And that's the thing that he wants the Japanese people to know. So he kept, he, he, he was determined to keep going. That's a life that, that, that's lived in praise and thanksgiving. Life of praise and thanksgiving doesn't mean that we're loud or happy all the time. But it, it, do, it doesn't mean that we're being teary-eyed every time we think about Jesus. But it does mean that our lives are completely reoriented. We live our lives for a different purpose. Our priorities have changed. We start caring for the things that Christ cares for. The people that he died for. It means living for him. It means working for him. It means raising our children for him. It means all of this because through faith, we recognize Jesus. And we're moved to throw ourselves at Jesus' feet in worship of him. It means all of this because we too have received a great salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And knowing all of this, we are moved to live a life of praise and thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the salvation that you have given to us through your Son. We thank you for Jesus' birth and life and death and the resurrection. We thank you for the suffering. We thank you that he humbled himself to die for us. Lord, help us to recognize who you are. Help us to give our lives in praise and thanksgiving. Help us to worship you in our life. Send your Holy Spirit to us. Help us to set you in front of our eyes that we may live our lives in praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.